welcome to Green and Red, Scrappy Politics for Scrappy People, a regular podcast on radical, environmental and anti-capitalist politics, brought to you by Bob Bazanka and Scott Parker. Welcome to the Silky Smooth Sounds of the Green and Red podcast. I'm your co-host, Scott Parkin in occupied Ohlone territory, Berkeley, California. And as always, I am joined by... I'm Bob Bazanko. I am in Ohio today where it's like 65 degrees. So we are waiting for uh, climate change to head north, but I'm sure it's, it's imminent. Um, as always, we begin the show by thanking all of our uh, wonderful listeners and viewers. Our numbers are getting bigger every week. And uh, we hope you continue to, to listen to us on any platform you choose. and rate review, uh, sign up, subscribe, follow. We have a YouTube channel. Uh, we recently passed 15,000 views on one of our Noam Chomsky videos, which is pretty cool for us. And uh, so follow and rate and review and, and all that kind of stuff. Cause you know, you, we do this for you guys. We're not in it for the money. Uh, so, um, you know, continue to support us and and we really do appreciate it and thank you and that's why we bring you like these really cool guests like we're going to have today and talk about stuff that you, you're not going to hear in a lot of other places so we are scrappy podcast taking on big left podcast so and and we have recently moved into the top 10 percent of all podcasts as, right. oh uh, and we were nominated according to studies and don't tell we've tell about the nomination and we are a quill nominated uh yeah. podcast as well we didn't win the best podcast of the year we didn't win but i'm pretty sure that there's an italian satellite that that was like wrapping up votes for the other group i had this incident in venice with like at a pasticceria with some foyotel and cannoli and it turned bad and i'm pretty sure the italian screwed us out of that one so well yeah but you guys are starting to sound pretty big left yeah <laughs> carrying yeah. your awards around and <laughs> exactly well Same we actually think sweet yeah, we actually make a lot of stuff up, too, because we figure nobody will check us on it. So, <laughs> And so if you like our podcast, uh, we encourage you to do more than share. And if you want to donate, you can become a patron at our Patreon page, patreon.com backslash Green Red Podcast. Or you can make a one-time donation at greenandredpodcast.org and just hit that support button. And like Bob said, we're bringing you great shows and great guests like we are today. Uh, and so today we're going to be actually talking about politics and music. And so we are joined by Adam Sherburn, who is the lead guitarist, vocalist, and music director for Consolidated, a radical left industrial band uh, from San Francisco, the parts of the West Coast. Uh, and they play music, which covers a lot of uh, hot political topics, including vegetarianism, women's rights, animal rights, the unity of oppression, uh, the dangers of capitalism, white supremacy, the dangers of borders and nationalism, et cetera. Uh, and Consolidated was active in the late 80s and 90s and is now active again. So welcome to Green and Red, Adam. Thanks for having me. Very excited to have you today. Uh, and we're we're excited to talk about this topic. So talking about politics and music, maybe actually just let's start off a little bit telling us about your background, maybe how you got into music, what were some of your influences, that sort of thing. I've been a, into music my whole life. I've played guitar since I was a kid. I'm about 60, so I was lucky enough to come up at the end of uh, the giant uh, boom of uh, 20th century 
black music. And so like everybody else my age that plays guitar, I come up with all those rock and roll and blues, jazz, funk traditions. And uh, when I was a kid, I uh, was starving on, you know, uh, in bands and uh, ended up in a band that had, uh, you know, it had some uh, success, but what it really had was uh, a great takeaway for me as far as the nuts and bolts of the music industry and the, uh, the real uh, workings of capitalism and uh, the kind of, you know, child trafficking, gangsterism that uh, is really at the heart of what pays for the music industry and how it is a propaganda arm of capitalism. And I, I was a kid. I didn't know any of that shit, but I was uh, I was humiliated by the uh, experience and I was motivated to if I had to stay anywhere in the music landscape, it would be in a way that would uh, it would kind of depth it would separate. Uh, ourselves, whoever I was working with, uh, and become more in the Adorno-Horkheimer uh, tradition of uh, critics standing apart. We were making our own music, but we weren't, uh, uh, in the early days of Consolidated, we weren't functioning as a band. We were functioning as critics of the music industry, and we were just throwing all this uh, sound and text and uh, sort of comedic sloganry out there to... Uh, a put it on notice the the music industry and b uh, just ourselves as far as what compromises were we continuing to be willing to make and uh, how could you know how can people make music and uh, not uh, be completely alienated by the same realities that uh, alienate everyone else under capitalism and of course we found that uh, that is a daunting task and we uh, were not adequate to it in some ways and after about seven eight years. Uh, and, you know, uh, moving up in the industry and uh, dealing with further things that reminded me of my first band. I just had enough. We all had enough. And it forced, uh, you know, other dudes to go deeper into the anus of the music industry to keep it going. And it forced me to uh, uh, develop an alternative or a corrective as a musician or an artist to being involved in the market. And uh, in that way, uh, I was able uh, from like about 2000 on to start working on the concept of free music, which was simply a 180 degree rejection of things that had to do with uh, money, music, performance, the sales of songwriting, uh, the entire infrastructure and psychology of being in the market of music. And so for about the last 15, 18 years, I've been doing the opposite of the music industry. And, it, you know, it doesn't mean that we don't play all over the world. We just play on the street or in a park and we take instruments for the people to join us with. And it's still uh, it's a great way to uh, uh, enjoy music, get better at it and, and just not suffer the poison or the fatigue of uh, having to always go back to capitalism on that. And then up to current. Uh, some kids, uh, super fans of ours from back in the day, meaning uh, dudes about your age, uh, they all made a tribute to Consolidated, and that was two years ago. And that got uh, the three of us, the three original guys, Mark Pistol, Philip Steer, and I in a room in a coffee shop to discuss should we do something. Uh, the one guy couldn't uh, make the commitment because his uh, obligations were too great. And the other guy I've continued to work with Mark all these years. It's just that when he recorded me, we never put anything in the market. Uh, but we got we decided to weigh in one more time and just uh, make like one more uh, volunteer hobby project of 
discussing what's happened in the interim and where it's going. And that's what this uh, latest album is. And it's uh, it's not really a band. It's just uh, two old friends who are using the opportunity to put something out there and see what people think about it. And that gives us the opportunity to do the one thing that was a significantly different and unique contribution that our band made, which was that we simply stopped our fucking entertaining and playing and we gave the mic to the audience. And that resulted in uh, brilliant, staggering, ignorant, uh, genius comments that we ended up recording and utilizing as the text on our subsequent recordings. And that was pretty much, uh, you know, the reason that I would say I would do it one more time is to go around the world and give the mic out and see what people are saying now. And uh, so we're in the process of that. And uh, the reality uh, that I've been discussing for 20 years that nobody else wants to admit, or especially musicians, which is that that industry is largely gone and has been a ghost for those entire intervening decades. Uh, It, it, you know, and the pandemic, it's going to make it difficult to get out and do these things that used to have a uh, ongoing smooth infrastructure and networking uh, possibility. That means like live touring and stuff like that. So we're going to have to wait for Elton John and, and other people at higher layers of the, uh, culture industry to get their uh, missed tours rescheduled and replayed and then maybe next year we'll get to get on the road and and do the thing that I just said we're going to play a few gigs this uh, September but uh, it's slow moving even more than it was because live music was the only thing that existed for 20 years and that got shut down for a year so here we are what what you described sounds a lot like guerrilla art like um, Scott and I've been involved in all kinds of political movements and organizing, especially in Houston. And we would always have a political component, but we would have local artists. And, and it was kind of what you you just described, which I think kind of leads me to the question, like when you're performing, like, are you trying to kind of wake people up, entertain them, educate them, you know, kick them in the teeth? What what do you think the purpose of, uh, of what you're doing is and what what music should do? We certainly thought all of those things in 1988 and we were riding on the wave of uh the successful integration of previous social justice movement successes we were the first band that were inviting numerous people to table at every performance to invite the audience to comment rebut uh say what they were thinking and we truly felt uh, in a, a way in hindsight is mistaken and naive that uh aspects of activism and political movements that had come out of the university and it, uh, for decades could in fact integrate all the various classes and their interests in a uh, you know in some kind of unprecedented uh, uh, degree of solidarity and there was upward movement as you both recall because you're old enough that uh, in the late 80s early 90s there was a major solidarity uh, movement across many of these uh, interests. And we were trying to be a conduit for the coming together of that. And then around the time that the recording industry and file sharing started to take a shit on all of the money possibilities, you also noticed a serious rototilling and internal destruction of uh, at least what I had seen within 
the feminist, uh, the second wave feminist bummer lady circles that I uh, was in, the animal rights groups, there was a concerted COINTELPRO in the mid to late 90s to discredit and to distort the, uh, the solidarity, especially between radical feminism and vegan animal rights uh, communities with the uh, pre-existing civil rights, anti-war, anti-nuke, feminist, even queer circles. There was, uh, well, there's a, a book that we quoted in one of our songs by an author named Carol J. Adams. Her book was The Sexual Politics of Meat. It was very influential to us. And uh, there was a, a major campaign at the end of the 90s to re-mainstream pornography and meat by fast food companies. Uh, and this was after a long-standing uh, taboo against that kind of brutality, just because of the popularity and the upward swing of feminist and animal rights veganism ideas. And that got sledgehammered by Carl's Jr.'s and Arby's and all these uh, strippers dripping meat grease on their naked bodies on muscle cars. And then there was a great sort of uh, dissolution of the memory of the need for uh, grassroots mass organizing across all the strata. And then people were overtaken by identity capitalism. And I'm sorry, Bob, but that came from your hood and all my friends who are in oh, the fa fa well. faculty lounge talk. No, I agree yeah. with you. I agree. So, with you totally. yeah. So anyways, we're uh, 20 years on from the beginning of that. And the, the discourse is so twisted and the mass psychosis is so in, uh, intensified that uh, I only want to talk to you motherfuckers about dogs or food, maybe music, but all of these have been infected by the weaponry of uh, politicized language. And uh, it's tough to talk to people. That's why I'm simultaneously excited to maybe get out on the road and hand the mic to the people and terrified of that. Uh, things were violent, confrontational, and downright uh, tenuous every fucking night after a show for uh, a decade back then. I had no idea in the era of when everybody is packing firearms what that's going to be like when we show up in that world, yeah. if we do. But uh, so I guess you would like was, you would have skinheads come to your show and oh yeah like because yeah. in the beginning uh, this is a if y'all don't know this kind of music uh, we came up in a in something that was it was dance based it's all just fucking Latin music you know it's disco techno it became something called industrial and when we went to Florida and were playing that shit white supremacists came to the front of the crowd and Sig Heiled the drummer in a great show of applause. And at that moment, we knew we were no longer gonna be an industrial band. And so we immediately diversified into all other kinds of uh, music and of course, essentially committed commercial suicide mm. and just sort of limped to the uh, end of the fucking race going, we don't want this. And we played a whole bunch of different kinds of music that was far more exciting and more what we wanted to do and also gave an example to people who were trapped in the rut of uh, narrowing your shit all the time to meet the market requirements. We showed that you can do anything you want, but uh, there were skinheads surrounding me at the van every night because uh, I look like that kind of American man myself. 
And uh, it was uh, challenging. It was rewarding. It was a way to see that everybody are people, even fucking clan dudes are humans. And, you know, it was draining. It was also, uh, you know, it was just a time when political uh, realities were moving rapidly and they were moving rapidly in a reactive and conservative direction. And so I had to get out of it. And everything that I've done since then, even though I, like both of you, I have remained on an organizing level, either with homeless youth around music or feeding people on the street or advocating for universal housing. And those environments are subjects to more dysfunction, toxicity, and, and foolishness than, uh, you know, just a straight up corporate fucking model of uh, equity garbage, which I won't go anywhere near. But uh, even the groups that I'm in, I'm at war against all the time. And everyone who works with me is terrified of me. And uh, the kids who are coming up and they're all drowning in their equity fantasies are also terrified of me because I look like a huge proud boy Klansman, but I'm as queer as any of them and I care about them, but they're drinking a Kool-Aid that's setting us way back and we're not allowing humans any room to move and we're destroying language. And so uh, te uh, technically the outcome of that has been that I have made more of a commitment to in uh, instrumental music and just teaching and practicing uh, uh, great traditions, uh, mostly African, but also, you know, uh, European and Latin and uh, folk traditions. And, uh, you know, just trying to get people to realize that uh, their voice can also be expressed, you know, in the old ways that were supposedly, quote, pre-politics and art. Even though all of the 20th century has been a political art century where they have been fused ever since Dada and surrealism and jazz, they've always been political. But uh, now everything has to say Black Lives Matter on it on like a, you know, on a sign in front of you or else you're not allowed access to whatever. We're, we're in times of ridiculous symbolism throwing around. And I think for me, the free music thing is about actually getting back to being humans with each other. And so this return to being in a band is not gonna promote any of that. It's gonna be not about promoting existence, but back to promotional existence. And so it's, you know, this is gonna be a regressive sort of experiment, but uh, me and my old dudes uh, who are a couple of great guys, we're gonna have a drummer who's uh, a giant in Bay Area music circles. He was a founder of the Beat Nigs the founder of the Brown Fellinis. They've been around the Bay for 35 years. And uh, his name's Kevin Carnes. He's going to travel with us on the drums. And we're going to be old guys having a bucket list adventure. But it will be a, a regressive adventure because uh, anything that you're trying to be involved with about the industry or about uh, political activism, I'm sorry to say, are, are just subject to so much contradiction. It really makes uh, being human with each other difficult, but we're gonna go there and we're gonna, we're gonna face that. But I'd rather talk about your dogs or your cats, if you love cats, or what kind of you know, food you like to eat. Something oh, that we can all fucking find some- uh, Ita Italian know, food, fraction. obviously. <laughs> And we love both cats and dogs. Sweet. Your choice is clear. You get America or the future. America or humanity.
in a possible natural world. You don't get bullets. You think you can have bullets? You get America. Organize, organize, form a group of two. This is 
not the time to be demoralized. There's stuff for all to do. If you can work, if you can build, if you can teach, if you can help, if you can play, if you can sing, if you can do anything, just start doing it. Otherwise, You know, just reading some of the lyrics of your new album, it's they're like, you know, they're very like anti-capitalist. You know, there's you have songs about mutual aid, you have songs about borders, uh, and I'm kind of curious about when you, you know, encounter folks who you know are coming at this with uh, a certain like perspective, which is around wokeness, which has been a, a topic of some of our episodes lately, um, or at least one of our recent episodes. I'm I'm kind of wondering what kind of response you get um, to and and maybe it hasn't really been out there because y'all haven't been on tour yet, but I'm kind of wondering what the response is to like this sort of anti-capitalist message that you're putting out there, like in, in, in uh, recent doings. Yeah. Uh, I look forward to that too. And uh, if you ever refer to them again as folks like F O L X, then I'm going to have to refer to them as F A U X <laughs> because uh yeah, because I'm seeing too much of that. Sorry, I've been up since 5.30 Skyping with somebody else. Anyways, uh, I am very looking forward to it. Uh, and at the same time, we were saying that shit on the first record in 88. And people who influenced us were saying that on the first record in 68. And in 1930 and 1900, we were far closer to actual anti-capitalism than we are now. And so I feel like I'm, uh, you know, I did it. I did this one song, the one I told you about. It was kind of a semi-parody of our old work. And it says all the words. But now the whole anti-capitalism fetishism have become so many T-shirts that it's, uh, it's dubious to use uh, these things in music. And so I guess what, I'm, uh, what I do in my music is destroy all those signposts and just get into the the ugly, you know, anarchist, uh, anti-capitalism, uh, fizzling out, falling down, driving it off a cliff. The things that won't happen when we play with Consolidated, we will have, you know, we will have a cohesive and understandable output of some kind of no, knowable music. 
And, uh, you know, that will be something I have to answer to and have to destroy internally to bring our music to the present. So I'll have to uh, undo some of the aspects of our shit. And then I do, like you, I look forward to what folks will think about that. I mean, we're old men. We just look like Murray Bookchin guys, you know, showing up at a coffee shop. <laughs> Although we fucking rock and it's a big, loud thing with media, with video accompanying all of it. And uh, I, too, look forward to that. That's the reason I agreed to do it one more time and to me, admit our failures. Let me follow up a little bit on that, because uh, um, I told you before we went on, I'm a professor. I use music in my class all the time, you know, from jazz to any warm music at hip hop. I was recently just like a few days ago, read an article on the origins of, of Detroit techno, which I knew absolutely nothing about, which actually came out of this reaction to this kind of decay in, in the city. And the first big you know, group was called the underground resistance. Um, and they also at the same time, punk kind of gets started there with death. So um, yet punk and techno and hip hop, all have become gazillion dollar industries with white kids in the suburbs being the main consumer. So you mentioned earlier, like COINTELPRO type actions against you, but how much of that is just due to like commodification, co-optation, you know, these people finding a way to like change their music a little bit, not be so overtly political and make a buck. Well, I would just say the three examples you uh, gave uh, are, are the, really striking because in my ears each one of them punk and what you call detroit uh, techno or house the ori the origins of that are disco and uh, i'm going to put that in there and also with hip-hop and i would say hip-hop in the beginning was not an anti-art it was an innovation uh, of new technology being used to play old technology sounds in a new way. Uh, that has uh, long since uh, ceased to be the case. But I, and I will say that there's one aspect of hip hop that was also a anti-art, and that is by reducing what was a 16 bar uh, head in jazz music that was the length of most developments of pop music up until hip-hop's innovation was reduced to 25% of that. And hip-hop became a one-bar vamp. Punk rock became not even three chords, but one and a half chords played wrong on purpose or because you just didn't figure out how to fucking do it before you got it back in the game. Uh, Detroit techno is like any techno. It's just dance music. It's the simplest way to rhythmically organize people in a Latin African way to dance. And so, and the thing about hip hop, which is fascinating, and I'm going to digress, Scott, if that's uh, okay, because I haven't talked to this to anybody about it. And I want to know what the world thinks of this, because if music is the sound of life, I would say that hip hop is the sound of the trajectory of the development of trans politics. And what I would say to that, and I've never said this in public and I'm gonna say it, is that both movements are in fact literal uh, appropriators of the same traditions of their own movements. Hip hop, 
is in fact a literal reappropriation of funk, R&B, rock, jazz, reggae, previous black music styles, literally uh, used again. Uh, trans politics is a similar phenomenon in that a single uh, emerging uh, member of a community of previously queer uh, social movement developments tries and who is comprised of other queer, uh, you know, subgenres, because everyone who knows queer people know that uh, we're all on a sexual uh, trajectory. But for one group who actually encompassed the quote identities of all the other queer groups to stand apart and say that it deserves individual consideration is to me like hip hop needing to stand apart and deserve individual capitalist attention, even though its constituent parts are previously existing black musics and they're all together and they all benefit from celebrating the entire tradition that led up to these new formations. But I guess what I'm saying is trans politics and hip hop music are infected by the most virulent uh, capitalization impulse, meaning that it was the most surface, shallow, and marketed facet of these different uh, evolutions. One is an evolution of a political tradition, and one is the evolution of a, mu a series of music traditions. And uh, I feel like uh, hip hop uh, paid the ultimate price for that because it was, uh, it was immediately capitalized and became a worldwide uh, diffuse phenomenon and a legitimate uh, inspiration around the world like all the previous black musics. And yet it, uh, you know, whatever it is, I mean, uh, colloquially, it, it attempts to stand apart from all of its constituent uh, components. Uh, whereas, you know, jazz musicians, rock musicians, funk musicians all know what hip hop is. They all ended up making it and producing it and being those artists in many cases. But they were of a tradition that welcomed rock if they were from jazz or they understood it. They understood world music, reggae, ska, Latin music, uh, folk musics from around the world. And they integrated it and they welcomed the world uh, being able to in, embrace the unity and the solidarity across all of that. Whereas hip hop uh, claims that it's the first music uh, phenomenon that includes dance and art and music and this is ridiculous and trans politics is leaving garden variety you know semi femme gays and semi butch uh, lesbians and just bisexual people uh, a little bit behind and out Whereas if there were solidarity across all of it, and I know that I'm, I'm just making a point about some uh, philosophical directions that I feel this is going. I know people all over are coming together where they can, doing what they can. But I feel like uh, the musics that you mentioned, Bob, are the musics that are most uh, subject to, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of liquidation of depth in favor of surface marketing. And I feel that because of that, 
they didn't have lasting potential. And I feel that's the case uh, in politics in some ways. And people have to go back and give themselves a far deeper political education. And I mean that for musicians. I mean a musical political education and a political political education for everybody. So that's a digression. If I didn't answer the question, then, you know, ask it again. <laughs> no, no, that was that was fantastic. Uh, I, I could talk about this like this is really a fascinating subject for me as 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 somebody who I, I can't play music at all, but I love music and I always think it's an important way to teach. And um, I use it a lot. So now what you just said is, is really useful. So. Keep going. <laughs> um, well, go ahead. I think Scott has a question. Yeah, uh, I, I, uh, I have many questions. Um, I, I've been, honestly, I've been reading through your lyrics um, that you, you shared with us a couple of days ago. And you know they're they're all very like well written lengthy editorials on on like a lot of politics that are really kind of near and dear to my heart. And I'm kind of curious in the new album because I haven't looked at the stuff from your from your from Consolidated's older work, but like ha has would you say that your message has changed or, or have you been? I mean, I, I know there's like topical things in there, like borders is definitely something people talk about a lot more. Climate change is something people talk a lot more, and that's in your lyrics as well. And I'm kind of curious if if uh, how how y'all have evolved in since you've kind of come back well uh i have uh i've just undergone you know uh, some kind of surface reflection of the futility of all of that over the last couple decades and so basically this is almost like a a light airy you know, dance album that's not heavy on lyrics for us. If you did listen to the old shit, you would be sledgehammered with a political trout over the head. And uh, this would seem like just a, an instrumental sort of disco record with some uh, improv bits. And yet I am compelled to write the words that I wrote about where we are now. And I even wrote those a couple of years ago. So, uh, uh, you know, there would be other things for now. But for me, the whole thing has always just been about don't be a dick, do it yourself and, you know, stay out of the money game unless you want to become mentally ill and just, you know, shovel yourself into your grave. But uh, there are the realities that people all across the board were doing so much uh, intellectual and social and uh, on the ground direct organizing. We were involved in that. I was involved in that in the Bay Area. I'm sure we cro cross paths somewhere. And at this point, uh, those things, uh, it's funny because uh, since we invite tablers to our things, I have to uh, go make cure, uh, whatever inquiries around the country to get these people to Chicago, LA, wherever. And of course, all the cool groups that were around when we started are gone or they've become untouchable giant bureaucracies and I'm not going to make a side uh, inquiry to their media publicist in New York to get them to come to a show in Denver. And uh, the, the same things uh, happen everywhere across capitalism. And I don't, uh, I don't feel that I'm going to make a, a large contribution a, because I look like a fucking boogaloo boy and no one wants to hear from that person. And I went up into rooms uh, all across the decades and said the same shit I'm saying to you today. And a lot of people don't want to hear it. 
because a lot of people do feel that if they had their place in the sunlight of capitalism, then uh, environmental destruction would end or racism would end. And, you know, we just keep going through this cycle of uh, a lot of self-denial and a lot of fucking or just a lot of denial and a lot of unwillingness to do the unglamorous day-to-day grind of organizing. And so I just prefer to do the organizing. And uh, the only reason I wrote those lyrics is because I wanted to get uh, out there on the road one more time and give the mic to the public. So I sort of spewed out a few things that uh, they indicated where we were 30 years ago. And some of it indicates where we are now. And, uh, and just trying to see who's actually willing to admit that all of our economic uh, fundamentals were thrown into whack in the late 90s when file sharing destroyed the recording industry. Uh, the fact that people in music don't want to admit that 20 years on is staggering to me, but the fact that a lot of other people don't want to admit, admit that across other e- economic uh, uh, strata is also concerning because it's going to happen to them too. And so that would, you know, that's a big song on the record. And uh, there's just, there's also uh, instrumentals here and there just to let the listener have music. And uh, that's important at this point because we really did kill people with that shit. And we have our shame in uh, the mess we're in now because we had an outsized uh, hope and uh, naive sort of expectation that our, uh, you know, our, our political art and our, uh, our identity movements would somehow coalesce in some challenge to power that was, you know, entirely misguided. It seems like to me, I've, I've kind of been thinking about this a lot lately is that there's like this necessary evolution that movements need to make is like, we spend a lot of time doing this sort of like, you know, direct immediate political action where we target politicians or corporations trying to move them, but we're not doing this bigger work of like building an organization or doing a lot or doing some sort of political alignment or kind of like having some sort of bigger vision. And part of the issue has been, uh, uh, I mean, I I feel like there's like a a lack of unity and, and I kind of feel like your music speaks to that uh, uh, somewhat is that, that there's a lack of unity on the left that, that, that needs to shift and 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 to me sometimes that the sort sort of more immediate political action that happens is that it almost plays a, a role of like legitimizing capitalism where we should be figuring out better ways to like align and then delegitimize capitalism absolutely uh this is uh these are the great frustrations and people have to go up and they have to you know uh they have to somehow be validated in the marketplace of whatever their market is. And what you said is true. You know, uh, the, the grind of, of being in an organization proposes that you got to deal with fucking people. And the people who come to organizations are packing bags. So dysfunction, toxicity, internal divisions, are they, are they going to be there? Like they trauma. are anyway. A lot of trauma out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, drama-informed fucking uh, life and survivorship are going to always be things we have to make other strategies to, so you can keep that out of the organizing uh, venue. And these are the realities. They were back then. They were in the 50s and 60s when people were organizing around voting rights in the South, and they were, you know, everywhere in, around the world at different times. And so, 
Uh, people are just uh, weak, soft, fatigued, overburdened by the drama, the D-R-A-U-M-A of uh, having to, you know, hear old people <laughs> talk to them. And so I feel like uh, I'm going to support people who they're doing that work. I'll, I'll make a pitch for one group right now, and they are long-standing international on-the-ground organizer, Pan-African revolutionaries, the All-African People's Revolutionary Party. Look for them. It's usually a few people in every city, and there's one in the Bay Area named Ajamu Umi. He's a San Francisco guy. He's in SAC. He was in Portland after Occupy, and he was a tremendous organizer whose life and work uh, many of us are indebted to around the country. And this is a person who's uh, spending that time. Is he a former Black Panther? I feel like I saw a webinar with him, actually, yeah, not too long did. ago. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you, uh, Bob, if you remember the album by KRS-One, Edutainment, yep. th there were numerous uh, in-between skits that had the voice of Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Ture, Yep. And they were, they were taken from recordings of his lectures on the last tour of his life. He had lived in uh, Ghana and uh, mm -hmm. Guinea, uh, I think Guinea, uh, for the last years of his life. And he came back to the States. And Ajamu was a young man who was in charge of his security and drove him up and down the coast to all oh, these okay. events. So Ajamu was there when those recordings were made. And he has spent his life tirelessly uh advocating for black unity and solidarity and just getting away from what capitalism uh falsely and uh, deceitfully proposes to americans whether they're african or poor or whoever that aren't on the receiving end of the good things of capitalism uh he is fighting against that infection and i'm you know i'm totally inspired by him as are many but there are people like that that we all know that are grinding their ass off for no dough. They know it's not about them. And I want to say that I think it should be about them. And I want to digress really quickly one more time and say something that I haven't said, uh, which is I feel like we can learn so much about how to deal within capitalism and how to organize as individuals and groups by looking at the model of the American jazz big band. I don't mean swing bands. I don't mean Paul Whiteman or Benny Goodman. <laughs> I mean Ellington, Basie, uh, Errol Garner, Fletcher Henderson, Sun Ra, George Clinton. These are people in capitalism. Yes, often with a dictatorial uh, uh, band leader. However, maintaining uh, long-standing solvent uh, communities of working black men and women. Uh, that allows for the soloist to come to the top and say their shit and then recede back into the ensemble and take part in the grunt work. These are the sounds of social cohesion and organization that I find really inspiring. And everyone that I know that's uh, martyring themselves at the, uh, at the fiery altar of uh, fucking, you know, <laughs> nonprofit uh, volunteerism or at some kind of uh, lifelong radical organization uh, venue, I feel like you need to be 
acknowledged as an incredible individual, not any better than anybody else, but you're doing the fucking work. You brought these people under you, with you, above you. And uh, that, it, you know, there's a, there's a binary there of you need a charismatic leader and then those under them sacrifice themselves. And because of the charismatic leader, there's victory for all. Uh, I, that's as bullshit as there are no leaders and you all just got to bury yourself in the worst of the grunt work and clean the toilets and shut the fuck up. And then maybe you can be part of something bigger than yourself. I think the big band proposes that we all get to acknowledge there's a place for all of us. There's a place for all of us. Some motherfuckers are going to jump up and make a more uh, the compelling solo that we all agree wants to be out there. And some are going to stay in the ensemble and work in the warehouse. And those are the funkiest ones you got. I would say the warehouse workers are usually the bassists and the drummers. They mm -hmm. are holding the base for all the superstructure. And so I feel like this uh, analogy is, is been, it's not been sort of uh, understood or utilized in a way it can be. Thank you for that second digression. I hope there won't <laughs> be too many more. We're kind of heading towards the end of our time. Yeah. I do feel like an important lesson of what you just said. I, also something I've been pondering lately is, and I heard someone, this is, I'm stealing this from someone else, but like, you know, be ruthless with institutions, but be kind to people. And I feel like that's a little bit of a, a message that we've been discussing a little bit today is that like, it's the systems and the institution. I mean, there's definitely individuals I think that we should be ruthless to, like, you know, usually at the top of the system, but I definitely think institutions and systems are what we should be harder on. Yeah, I, uh, that's dialectics. I even say that in the lyrics of that song, you know, uh, institutions are nothing more than the people who are fucking executing the principles of them. And, uh, you know, people uh, become institutionalized. And so we're all acting on each other and that and that, that's, uh, that's the real uh, meat and uh, tofu and potatoes of that dialectic sort <laughs> of ongoing thing. Yeah. When we're organizing, I think, on the left, and this is something Scott and I have talked about, we tend to kind of make it sound very dreary, you know, like things are bad and they're crushing us. And, you know, and I think, uh, you know, I mean, it's not unreal. It's not. That's true. But but at the same time, I don't think there's a, a sense of, of joy in that. And I think, what do you think, like, the role of art and, and music in particular can be in kind of reaching out to people without that kind of really dark, depressing apocalyptic message and say you know what if you join us if you're part of our community you can have this this sense of joy and this sense of art and this sense of music and you can dance and you can sing and you know it's not just going to be this really dreary dirge uh going on i mean is there a role for for what you do in that well we're straddling the line because we are responsible for part of our place in uh, the tradition of dirge and depression and gloom However, we were excited and excited the audience back then because before file sharing destroyed everything, music still had so much power to people and people were so passionate about that. So that's going to be there. That's what we have to talk about yeah. is you get to have joy anyways. But yes, the reality is we've been infected with decades of the gloom and uh, the gloom never stopped people from having joy before, but I think uh, now there's a giant stick up there and you got to yank that shit out so you can fucking <laughs> shake your ass again. But that's that's a number one. That's right up there. That's humans relearning how to be human. So that's what we're trying to do. And that's what 
free music does every week on the streets of Portland or Slovenia or DC or whatever. And so good point. Uh, That's great. Thanks. Just real quick. Do you want to tell us where people can find out about your tour and about the band? Yeah, Uh, I don't, I never am at this place, but there's a dedicated Facebook mm -hmm. site for consolidated uh, Limbabwe, uh, like Zimbabwe with an L uh, is our manager's uh, personal site and uh, it directs to the Facebook page. And there are, there's tons of history. There's all of the recording is free. We've made videos for all of the songs and people are commenting there. I'm not on it, so I don't know, but uh, you can find out pretty much anything you want about us uh, without clicking too far. Cool. And we'll put those in the show notes when we post the episode, when we post this episode. Um, Folks, you've been listening to uh, Adam Sherburn with Consolidated talking about music and politics and anti-capitalism and Uh, and their new album and their tour coming up. Adam, it's been great talking to you. Uh, Folks, you've been listening to the Green and Red podcast. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button if you go there. And if you want to make a donation, go to our Patreon page, patreon.com backslash Green Red Podcast. Or go to our website, greenredpodcast.org and hit the support button. Thanks so much, guys. It's been great talking to you today. Thanks. It's it's been awesome. Thank you.
Free music is the accommodation of harmony and dissonance, of order and disruption, ongoing, until disruption destroys everything. Then you start over, make an adjustment, and pick it back up, or go on to something else. It's all good. It's all good.